Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today we have a very special guest, USA Today, NBA senior writer, reporter. Mark Medina is joining us, and BJ is very fired up. Mark, thanks for coming on Pushing Through. Hey, well, I'll tell you what, I'm fired up. I love talking with BJ, talking hoops on the podcast. So today I know is going to be a good day. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I have a simple question for you, Mark. Uh, we are in the NBA offseason. We have champions. We have the Los Angeles Lakers. We can talk about them a little bit later on. But the big question that everyone has in the basketball world is pretty simple. And the question is, what's next? So I'll ask you that simple question. What is next in the NBA? What are we looking forward to? What What are like our little mile markers that we know, you know that we're going to hit next? So simple as that. What's next, Mark? You know what? What's funny is the NBA and the players union, they have the same questions of what's next. They're having talks to figure all this out. Really, the the only like benchmark that we know is November 18th. That's when the Mm -hmm. NBA draft's going to take place. It's going to take place virtually because of what's going on in the pandemic. And then after that, it's really up in the air. I mean, the what they have to figure out is what the salary cap's going to be. We know it's going to be a significant loss because of the loss of gate revenue when they suspended the season and resumed the season in a bubble. Mm-hmm. But how exactly will that figure be? And that'll give teams clarity on how they budget uh, their roster accordingly. And then after that, there should be free agency. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know when it's going to start or how long it's going to be. Um, and then after that, there's going to be, there's going to have to be some sort of ramp up with training camp before the season starts. Adam Silver said that in all likelihood it's going to be sometime in January, but that's still subject to change because of the pandemic. And the overriding hope is that the NBA wants to be able to have a season with fans for the obvious financial benefits, but they also don't want to do something rashly. And at this point in time, when I've talked to outside health experts, about that issue they don't think it's a good idea so with all these things we know what the moving parts are we just don't know what they will look like and when those benchmarks will take place other than the draft on november 18th Mm. well mark i i i wanted you to come on the show to give me clarity you're you're clouding my vision right now (laughs) you're clouding my vision right now you're clouding my vision you you know you know i thought i was going to learn when free agency was happening when the season was going to start back i needed to know the inside and then you're giving me you don't know so if you don't know how are we supposed to know yeah i mean dj if you want me to just make up some facts here i mean we can well that's the era we live in just make it up and say sources say that's what we need we don't need journalism that's not what this is about you know this is we need twitter stuff here um but in all seriousness free agency what are you hearing about free agency this year because clearly it's unusual we don't even know the number we can't you know prepare for it what are you hearing about free agency and let's talk about some of the names you know let's talk about the anthony davises let's talk about you know some of the bigger names are going to be in free agency this year and and what are you hearing thus far 
Yeah, well, Anthony Davis, he's probably been the only guy that's offered some level of clarity that he's planning mm-hmm. to opt out of his player option. I mean, there's no question he's going to come back to the Lakers. It's just a matter of what do his terms look like. And I think pre-pandemic, it would have been, hey, you're getting your five-year deal because mm-hmm. that's what benefits you most financially. But here, uh, you know, he might be doing something where it's a two-year deal, both because he wants to offset – uh, what he what the losses will be with the cap, but also that aligns his free agency to be with when LeBron James's contract right. ends, and so that presents flexibility for both of those guys. And then I think for Anthony's standpoint, that would make him eligible for then another deal where he could get you know in theory more money because of the hit here. But outside of Anthony Davis, um, I'd be surprised uh, for a lot of guys to be opting out of player options. I think Rajon Rondo is going to opt out of his because mm-hmm. he had a really good playoff performance. Contavious Caldwell Pope, same thing. But when you're looking at the unknown of this cap, you might be more inclined to want to just exercise the player option because you know what that money is going to look like. There's no uncertainty of how the market will take place, and that aligns right. yourself up to then get rewarded next summer in free agency. But I I think the unsettling question when you talk to teams around the NBA is that they're anticipating, well, then maybe there's going to be an increased pool of free agents next season, Mm -hmm. which which would then dilute the pie. So even if individually they're thinking, Hey, I'm just going to punt this for a year. There's, you know, going to be a lot more money in place. If everyone's doing that, then everyone's going to be fighting for, the same piece of the pie here. So it's, it's a very interesting puzzle that will have to be sorted out with that. Well, I can't let you throw that out without talking about the elephant in the room. Giannis for next year. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's free agency and then there's Giannis. Yes. <laughs> well, next year, you know, and not knowing how this is going to play out this year. I mean, are we anticipating what are we anticipating next year that the that the money will be going in a in a in an upward direction unlike in this off season what are we anticipating a recovery do we have a recovery time here mark or what what are you hearing yeah we we don't have a recovery time i don't i i think even if we lack specifics i'm not really going out on a limb to say yes the money is going to be better Mm-hmm. next season and beyond because right now the the NBA lost a substantial amount of gate revenue basically since March 11th. Right. And so even if there's the unknown of when next season starts or they have to delay, they're going to recoup some of that, but it's all relative because from there that's almost zero. Right. Right. Um, so how that affects, you know, Giannis is, I mean, he's, he's a star player, so he's going to get rewarded, but it's a matter of, if he gives a edict to the Bucks, look, uh, I'm not going to come back next summer by the time my contract ends, do the Bucks decide to do what other teams have done in the past, a la the New Orleans Pelicans with Andy Davis, right. where if they know the range on the wall, let's at least get something in return. If I had to guess, I think that regardless of whether Giannis says what he does or not, I think the Bucs are just going to go all in mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and do whatever they can in terms of upgrading their roster and showing the commitment. Sure. Uh, because if nothing else, 
this is still a championship window. And I think that that's the right moment. That's the right approach to take. If you have that window, you do whatever you can to climb through. And even if it shuts immediately and there's a messy aftermath to clean up, you still got that trophy. Um, so I, I would be surprised that the Bucks would trade Giannis, but look, every team wants to prepare themselves for that scenario. So you're looking at the Miami Heat. You're looking at the Golden State Warriors. You're looking at any lottery team. Now, will that be enough to entice the Bucks to trade Giannis? That's, uh, I would be skeptical, but I think all the teams want to arm themselves with whatever assets they have in terms of the open roster spots, the cap space, and those picks to be able to, uh, you know, hit the ground running if they do get intel that, you know, they're entertaining talks. And if you are team building right now in this moment in time where, like you said, Adam Silver doesn't even have the answers to what's next right now. He's still figuring out the answers to those questions. If you're a GM, do you expect just, you know, usually in the offseason we see all this movement, player movement, you know, guys recruiting other guys, all the rumors and things like that. And that's a big part of the NBA. Do you expect this year people will just hold tight because, you know, that that time period is just not going to be that window won't be there for guys to kind of go around and shop themselves and, you know, recruit other players to certain teams that probably just won't be a part of the NBA this off season. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it also has to do with the teams itself. Like I think specifically Miami and golden state, they, they have the window in terms of assets generally to make a run. So I don't think that's mm. going to preclude them from doing that, but you're going to get into a situation here where, because of the unprecedented nature of the cap, if it is very low and all of a sudden a team that is over the luxury tax that wasn't over the luxury tax uh, in normal circumstances, all of a sudden they're fielding not only a significant hit with additional money, but then uh, different tools that restrict your ability to upgrade your roster in terms of not only the repeater tax, but what the mid-level exception looks like. Um, and so I, I don't think that teams are going to be just punting next year because, hey, why try? But clearly teams have aligned themselves differently depending on their specific situations that if there is Giannis or anyone else available, that certain teams will have an advantage. But mm. I think the last point to this what isn't unique to other years is no one never fully knows what the number looks like, but teams can anticipate it. And so they can adjust accordingly. And I think that's what teams are doing now, even if they don't have the exact number, they're assuming they're going to have to deal with limited resources. Mm. Mark, I'm going to pivot a little bit to the, to the draft here to kind of see what you're hearing out here at the top of the board. We have the, the Timberwolves, we have the Warriors. What are you hearing as far as you think there'll be some activity this year, moving the pick? The Warriors are very unique, clearly, with their roster and their mindset. And what, what are you hearing at the top as far as the draft? Uh, keeping, moving, trading? What are, you, what, what are you hearing thus far? Yeah, I think ideally, uh, if it's up to the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors, they would be trading their pick. Um, <laughs> you think, I think so? Yes, but – and there's a lot of qualifiers here, BJ. They, they have that philosophy because they feel that, like in, in every year, that you can fast-track your rebuild a lot quicker when you have a 
a proven player versus a young player coming out of the draft. But I think the thing that makes that ideal difficult is the trade partner that they want. And so I think if I had a guess, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of uh, mag, you know, monumental trades related to the draft. There might be trades here or there, but nothing that's a seismic shift. So going in Minnesota, Golden State, they would love to take the pick, but I think what will ultimately happen is they use that to draft a player as opposed to using it in a trade. Mm. And are there any players specifically that we're talking about? I mean, no, I know LaMelo Ball is going to take headlines, right, because of you know the conversations around the Ball family in general, but is there any other player right now that's maybe you know kind of uh, you know shooting up boards or maybe more people we're talking about that, that may have some interest? Because I really don't feel like there's a definitive guy right now that people say, oh, that will be most likely the number one pick. Feels very 2013-ish, um, but is there any player that's maybe kind of creeping up boards for a lot of teams? Yeah, I think it's the ones you expect. Um, you know, no one thinks that there's a clear runaway winner. Mm-hmm. But if I if I had a guess, it's any combination in any order of LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, or James Weissman. Mm. If I had a guess, I think that the Timberwolves pick LaMelo Ball and then, then the Warriors pick James Weissman. Um, when you're looking at the Warriors specifically um, – you know, as much as the center position has been devalued in the NBA, um, you still need someone who can excel at the five. You saw that in the playoffs with a team like the Denver Nuggets with Nikola yep. Jokic. Um, but also someone like James Wiseman is a is more of a versatile big as opposed to a traditional center. But I think in today's day and age – not only do you always follow the old adage of you draft talent over need, but, you know, I think in all these cases, they have so many needs and there's so much positional versatility that can be satisfied that I think any of those, those three will wind up in the top three. Quick break to get aware from our sponsor, Nitsa. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. That's right, over a mile. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive train can't stop quickly even if it sees you it ends in disaster if the signals are on the train is on its way and you just need to remember one thing stop trains can't back to pushing through you know there's been a lot of coaching movement and and personnel movement thus far and there was a big one doc rivers there was Mm. a big one yeah i'm struggling with that one can you can you give me some clarity some clarification of why what was the thinking? What was the thought? Take me behind the curtain. <laughs> I mean, Doc Rivers is an exceptional coach, an exceptional leader. What he's done, he's he's had a, a Hall of Fame career as a coach. Take me behind that process of what the Clippers were thinking of why you would let Doc Rivers you know, BJ, it's an interesting question because I was on a on the Zoom call yesterday 
with Steve Ballmer and Lawrence. Okay, Trump well, that's and, all we've got to go. Uh, we need to hear this. We need to and, hear this right and now. And what I'm saying is I still am struggling to run. Oh, no, well, give us what, what, was, <laughs> what will, did Steve say? <laughs> but but I, I my sense is this. There's no debate. Doc Rivers is taking the fall, but I think the Clippers are aware that their issues did not extend to solely Doc. And I, I, I don't even think that he is the primary – person to blame here i think when you're looking at specifically the denver nuggets uh first you obviously have to give credit to denver but if the clippers didn't get in their own way not only would they have won the game seven they could have made this an easy series and for those that want to blame doc for that well maybe you should also give them credit for them getting up 3-1 in the first place right Right. Um, I think by and large for better and for worse, success always starts with the players and sure you can debate about, you know, a coach's rotation and their ability to try hard. But my sense with these playoffs is that doc did everything that he could. He made adjustments um, and he tried different tactics. I think what happened and the Clippers are aware of this, is that this was a perfect storm of, A, they didn't play up to their potential, and B, their philosophical decision at the top to prioritize health over chemistry backfired a bit. Um, and, that, and look, they, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change that because by and large, if Kawhi or Paul George were not healthy, during the playoffs, it would have been a lot worse. But there's no way around that the level of investment that they had with just resting or sitting guys out with the play, uh, during practices, not only with the top guys but some of their role players, it led to a lack of continuity throughout the season, a lack of consistency. And then when adversity hit during the bubble, they didn't have the fortitude to go through that. So – the Clippers aren't pinning that specifically on Doc, but they think that if they had a new voice in Ty Lue, who's had experience in this uh, situation. Hold on, Mark. Hold on, Mark. Hold, hold, on, on. hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm I sorry. I'm sorry. What do you mean a new voice? What does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I just wanted to lay it out. Um, <laughs> I think Ty, Ty Lu was there on staff looking, last they're year. They're looking at hey, he, Ty was on the staff before. He, mm-hmm. he there's a familiarity with him, but he also uh, he's younger. He relates to the guys, and he's had a track record of, you know, there was a coaching change midway through, or not even midway through, like a little half, a little like thirty games into the 2015-16 season, and he inherited a team that was you know really good, obviously but he was able to navigate the immediate pressure of winning. They felt like, hey, this is this is a great decision to do. But that being said, BJ, I, I think Ty Lue's a great coach. Right. But I would have just run it back because right. you're having this situation here that if this doesn't happen, this entire thing could blow up in their face where Kawhi and Paul decide to opt out, they leave – but who knows? I mean, it, it might – I'm not going to say it's not going to work, but I think to think that replacing Doc's going to solve the problems, that's a leap in faith. 
So, mm-hmm. so Mark, I, I need to know who was on that call. I, I need to know who was on there. Was Steve, it Steve Ballmer, Lawrence Frank, and Ty Lue. Oh, oh, yeah. Really? It was a joint. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing: it was <laughs> it was almost like this. Like it was a joint call, but we're they're all in different locations because <laughs> mm-hmm. of uh, you know the pandemic and all that. So it wasn't like they're all sitting, they're all close to the hip, but you know, you got the split screen and they're all, you know, expressing so, some more messages. So do you, and as much as you could share, do you think Doc had any idea? Because it seemed rather odd to me because it was announced like two or three days after the conclusion of their season that he was returning. And then suddenly this happened. So do you think Doc had any idea what, were there any communication amongst the executives and Doc Rivers? What happened? I mean, how did this sudden change in a two or three days? What can you tell or what can you share with us? Yeah, well, the way Steve Ballmer explains it, and look, I mean, Doc wasn't here to explain his side, so you have to mm-hmm. take that for what it's worth. But the way Steve Ballmer explained it was there wasn't going to be any decisions made immediately after the loss because there's emotions. There was obvious frustration with the season not ending the way that they thought it would, which was a championship win. Um, But then about two weeks later, Steve and doc talked about the whole year and the different issues in play and the way Steve characterizes this wasn't a firing. This was both him and doc, having the the mutual decision of departing ways. Um, So with that, I don't necessarily, I don't believe that Doc's wanting to say, oh yeah, I'm going to leave a championship contending team, even if he is going to be a very coveted person and now have the opportunity to coach an intriguing team in the Sixers. The Clippers are still a better team to, to be coaching right now because of the talent that they have. But I do give credence to there was a lot of open communication that Doc has had with the front office with ownership. And so I think from that aspect, there was a lot of candid and honest conversations of what went right, what went wrong, where does Doc point the finger at himself, where doesn't he? But I will say following the season closely, I thought, you know, the only the only criticism that I would have of Doc, and this isn't even just this season, this is – and I don't ever want to criticize coaches from, like, in X's right. and O's because, like, I didn't play the game. Like, who are you to do that? Right. But I'm talking about the way you're managing a group and all that. I felt at times the guys would take the personality of how he is where sometimes they would get overly animated when calls wouldn't go their way, that sort of thing. But other than that, I thought he did a magnificent job with managing the group, ironing out roles, managing minutes, um, specifically in the bubble, you know, being a very supportive ally with the struggles with being there for an extended period of time, being a very needed voice when speaking out on social justice issues. Mm-hmm. So when there's criticism about, Oh, well, doc's voice isn't resonate. I thought his voice was amazing. So I'm with you, BJ. I'm I'm beside myself with that change. But you know, when unfortunate reality in professional sports is when there is some sort of collapse or underachieving, the head coach is usually the, the first one to go. Hmm. And on the flip side of that, Doc Rivers now turns into Glenn Rivers, and he goes to Philadelphia, and he is the head coach. <laughs> 
in Philadelphia. And with that whole situation, I mean, just to, to give like a little bit of optimism, I mean, Doc comes in and you talk about managing and having a voice that people listen to. That's what, you know, people have had a knock on Philadelphia. Will he be able to walk into that building? I mean, is that something to look out for next season, the off season, just Glenn Rivers impact on the Sixers and then being able to grow into a unit together? Yeah. I mean, I think Doc's going to do a great job because his coaching resume suggests that, but so mm-hmm. maybe there might be some new tactical things of, hey, how do they bring out the best in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? But going back to my earlier point here, you know, when I'm looking at the Sixers, my issues with them didn't have much to do with Brett Brown. It had more to do with, okay, there were some overlapping injuries, number one. But number two, uh, it was the roster itself. They had lost uh, not only Jimmy Butler, but, you know, guys like J.J. Redick that helps space the floor and give guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid more room to operate. And as much as I like Al Horford and Tobias Harris as players, when you're devoting that amount of money in your payroll just to those two guys without having enough shooters around to complement two stars and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I don't think that they were in a position to to succeed. Now – when you're looking at Joel and Ben, yes, could they be better players? Are there ways for them to expand their game for sure? And Doc will check those boxes or at least help with checking those boxes. But I think a lot of it also has to do with what's around those two players. Mm-hmm. You no, know, Mark, you know, I'm going to bounce around a little bit <laughs> in here. This is great. But before I get about it, I want to ask you about the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, we have... Big name, big stars coming back in the East. We don't. We no one seems to be talking about Brooklyn, but you don't just let Kevin Durant come back and say we can't let him come back and say there aren't expectations with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving coming back. What do we? What's a fair expectation for this team now? They have a new coach, big names, big stars, big city, bright lights. It's the <laughs> East. Mm. What should I be expecting from watching this uh, or this upcoming Brooklyn Nets team in this organization? You know, I I think that the expectation is they should be one of the teams in the East that's competing to win a championship. Now, there are going to be some hiccups at worst and maybe just adjustments at best because of the newness of everything, of Kevin Durant coming off his Achilles injury. Kyrie Irving coming off of his own injuries, the dynamic between the two guys, Steve Nash is a head coach, Mm. but I think that they are going to be a team to be reckoned with. Uh, You talk about Kevin Durant. Look, the history is not on anyone's side for there to be a success story coming off an Achilles injury with exception to Dominique Wilkins, where (laughs) incidentally enough, his numbers were better post Achilles, but everyone else, there's always been a regression, but the way Kevin Durant plays the game, it's fundamentally sound. It's based off of really good, efficient work in the post, in the mid-range, even the three-point shot. It's not about how athletic you are, so he's still going to be a good player. Um, I, I do have questions about how Kyrie will be as a leader because of the questions that he left when he was with Boston. Uh, but I think because he is having a partner with Kevin – where they are in alignment, that that'll help get through any of that dynamic. 
And then the third part with Steve Nash, if they were looking for an X's and O's guru that can draw up a great play and do the best substitution patterns, they would have hired someone with head coaching experience. They wouldn't have hired Steve Nash. But I will say even without that, Steve is one of the smartest players in the NBA that's ever played the game. And I think not only did he cement himself as a Hall of Fame point guard because of those smarts, but I think most importantly, it was the way he empowered people around him with his leadership style. And I think that's directly transferable uh, to the head coaching realm. I mean, so much that there's a lot of folks within the Warriors organization that see the parallels to what Steve Nash can be as a head coach versus what Steve Kerr has been as a head coach. And Steve Nash, on top of that, has even more playing credentials because of what he accomplished as a career. So I don't think I'm being too hyperbolic and thinking like this is a team that should be part of that championship mix. Now, how does that rank against the Celtics? How does that rank against Miami? That pecking order, I think you can make a, a case for either, but this isn't a, oh yeah, they're in the playoffs and they get in the first or second round and that's fine. Like they got star town and they got a good coach that I think can succeed in this business. And speaking of Miami, uh, just staying in the East with the Miami Heat, they go to the, you know, they overachieve this year. Everybody is is fully in on Jimmy Butler and what that team will look like in the future. But like you said, when you have a championship window, you have to add assets and try to continually improve to compete. Is there anyone on the radar for the Miami Heat that they want to add into that to that group? Or is it just kind of understood that Drogic will probably come back on some sort of deal and they'll run it back at some level? Yes, the guy they want to add, his name is Giannis. <laughs> so uh, that's obviously a game changer, and they have assets to do that. They have space to do that. Now, again, I don't think the Bucks are going to be in dealing mode. Again, I think right. that even if it is the answer they don't want to get, that, hey, I'm not coming back next season, or a cloud of uncertainty – you still have that season of a window to at least get that title. And then two things can happen. One, that might convince Giannis to stay. Or B, hey, he leaves, but you still have something to show for. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the Pelicans situation was much different because they weren't in a position where they're winning a title there. So they had to get whatever they could out of the Anthony Davis deal. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, with Miami, I think – Outside of Giannis and that hope, um, it's a matter of keeping that core together uh, because that is a really good core that they have. I think it is they, they have a perfect blend of some established stars, some emerging stars, some good steady vets, and then some good young players that are growing and all under the umbrella of the heat culture. I know some people outside of Miami – roll their eyes about that, but it's a real thing. And I think that really showed in the bubble with not only them being able to get through all the different challenges there, but specifically in the Eastern Conference Finals, when it came down to crunch time, there was always a multitude of options the Heat had of who could make timely shots, make key stops, because they're all under this really good umbrella. And also because of the things I outlined of, you have an emerging all-star like Bam Adebayo, a proven all-star like Goran Dragic, and now a steady vet. Same with Andre Wadawa, Jimmy Butler being an elite player, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson being good young talent. 
they're all able to complement each other well with positional needs and also depth. Mm. Mm. Well, Mark, uh, we appreciate you coming on and kind of letting us know what's next in the NBA and what to watch out for. Uh, we'll probably try to have you come back on to explain things. Yeah, we we got to get him back dates. on. That was too yeah. fast. That, that yeah. was the fastest 30 minutes. That was too much. This guy was giving me knowledge. I, I need this, Mark. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Well, BJ, thank yeah. you so much. And you know what? I wish I could give you more dates of what's <laughs> next, but, you know, I don't want to make up facts. I'm not, a, I'm not no narratives. on the alternative facts here. It's all uh-huh. <laughs> I thought I was going to be breaking some stories here, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were going to break some stories, but no, this is great. Thank you. You're you're one of the best, and uh, consider you a friend, friend of our show. You and mm-hmm. I have known each other, and thank you so much. And uh, you do a terrific job. And anything you need, please, uh, you know, reach out to us. Very humbled by the nice words, BJ, and right back at you with everything you said. 